Drops at the Lake Radio. New Drops is our new bi-weekly program where we present and highlight our newest sounds and updates to our radio stream. My name is Ingrid and I put together the mix for this week's show. I've decided to celebrate all of the new nice music being put out there the last couple of weeks. And the music is also some of the Lakers' favorite new tracks and also based on email submissions and other old and new uh, good stuff. But first of all, I think we should start out with a little bit of themed love uh, to get your Friday started.
Yo, this is Brother May, <laughs> Thug Affair representing her, and you're now tuned into the late radio, fam. Luxy, Luxy, all me. I had a daydream last night where we were lying in bed.
This was Laurel Hello from our new album Atlas, and the track is called Sick Eros. I generally love music like this, everything with drones and loops and repetitions, but also especially when people use their voice and language in this matter. And I guess in some way it's just how your mind works, but uh, also because some years ago I was at this event at Alice in Copenhagen, where I heard Henning Lundqvist read for the first time. Henning Lundqvist is a Swedish uh, writer and, and visual artist, and he did a reading of a text he wrote called um, Drone Music. And this text was very inspirational to me, and I think everyone should hear it. So I asked Henning if he wanted to do a reading of the text for uh, this edition of New Drops, so the reading could be added to our rotation at the Lake Radio. And uh, he said yes, and I'm very excited about that. I really hope that whatever you're doing this Friday morning or whenever you're listening to this show, that you're able to put everything else aside so you can really lean into this reading. Um, Thank you, uh, Henning, for doing this for us and uh, to everyone else. This is... Henning Lundqvist with Drone Music. During the first couple of years of the 2000s, I was building up a small, but if I may say so myself, still fairly focused record collection of so-called experimental music. Records and CDs of then-contemporary electronic music, including the queer interstices of Terry Thamelitz, the guitar drones of Oren Ambarchi, the digital gestures of Stilp Stepa, the misanthropic circus of Asmus Teachens, the digital wall of sound of Kathy Matthews, the spatial-temporal mysticism of the Hafler Trio, the CD-skipping of Oval, the media experiments of Akim Volscheid, the burlesque collages of Vicky Bennett, and the more historical stuff, Gordon Mama, Karl-Heinz Stockhausen, Else-Marie Pell, AMM, Robert Ashley, David Tudor, John Cage. A lot of my interest at the time was in drone music, minimal stuff, tones seemingly sustained forever, Elian Radig, Yoshi Wada, Paulino Oliveiros. And the unavoidable New York minimalism, not the one of Philip Glass and Steve Reich, way too cheesy and already long ago absorbed into the same corporate motivational music as Brian Eno and U2 and Coldplay, not that one, not that minimalism, but the real one, the real minimalists, according to my young naive self. The pure drones of Mariam Zazila, Tony Conrad, John Cale, Lamont Young, Charlemagne Palestine, Phil Kneeblock, and the amazing double CD, A Young Person's Guide to Phil Kneeblock. Two hours of sustained tones, layered wind instruments, playing microtonal variations of themselves. Total bliss. No harmony, no melody, no rhythm, no bullshit. 
I can't say I knew what it was about at the time, what they were really up to, Phil and Mariam and Tony and John and Lamont and Charlemagne and their drones. I remember reading in some liner notes, note that I didn't really read but only quickly glanced through, that quote, Tony Conrad is not about sustained tones, end of quote, and I remember how I didn't understand what this meant because Tony Conrad is 100% sustained tones. It's about the drone, it's all about the drone, and a drone is a drone is a drone. Still, hints seeping out from those liner notes and other sources insinuated that there was more to it than that, more than the drone, stuff not audible to the naked ear, more intellectual stuff, I suppose, stuff in words, stuff in writing, stuff I didn't get back then, I just liked them, I suppose, the drones. And I definitely liked liking them. They seemed to make me more alternative than alternative. Fringe all the way to the bone. Edgy to the core. Or at least that's what I thought at the time and I liked it. Or at least that's what I think now that I thought back then. Back when I was young and naive. Like now, but also young. For I can't say that I know what they're about now either, the drones. In that sense, drone musing is like painting, like good painting, real painting, not the figurative one, or the one which exists only to show off the wealth of its buyer. Not that one, not that kind of painting, but the real one, the one without motif and with nothing there to understand, not in that way, not to understand in that way, I mean, not like with language, like with writing, like with speaking, like with communicating, it's not like that, it's just there, it was just there. A perpetual drone left playing on repeat on the stereo, while stacks of records and CDs were piling up on the floor. On my floor, in my first own studio apartment on the fifth floor, overlooking the parking lot of a shopping mall just outside the city centre of Malmö. And then one afternoon, buying a pizza on my way home, the guy in the pizzeria says, a plane has just flown into the World Trade Center. And I said, really? That's crazy. And he says, well, these things happen. And then I walk the two blocks home with my pizza, and when I get home I switch on the TV, and during that short walk, not more than five minutes, just a few hundred meters, a second plane has already hit the other twin tower in what Karl-Heinz Stockhausen would soon call the greatest work of art that is possible in the whole cosmos, which wasn't okay by any means. Some courses allow any means necessary, but this one, no, it didn't. It didn't allow you to say that. You weren't allowed to define art in that way. This was the wrong definition of art, so Herr Karl Heinz was outed and corrected, and the protectors of high art and the free world, who did in fact know how to define art, banned him from their music venues and culture festivals, for he had wrongly called something art when, in fact, it wasn't. The Taliban had their views on art too, and they had no interest in calling the attack on the World Trade Center an artwork. In that sense, they were on the same side as the protectors of high art and the free world. The 9-11 attacks was not a work of art, but an act of war, and following the ultra-conservative creative misreading of both culture and Islam, acts of war are holy, while works of art are sacrilegious. 
which was also clear in how they related to everything of cultural work. Which was also clear in how they related to everything of cultural value found in their home country, a land they treated as a modernist playground, trying to erase all its history and replace it with their own limited view of the future leading them to, among other reckless acts, effectively forbid music altogether. Or not altogether. Every culture finds loopholes to survive, even its most repressive versions of itself, and Afghanistan is no exception. Here, the ingenious trick is to not define the calling of prayer as music, but as a verbal pronunciation of the divine, leaving at least this particular genre of music, the singing of the holy word, unbanned. Although it is sung, it relates to the scripture, to the Quran, to the holy word, to divine interpretation, not composing, to preaching, not singing, to the word, not the tone, Halal, not Haram, which in its turn has led to such amazing cultural products as this video I once found on YouTube in which members of the Taliban, meaning students in Pashto by the way, referring of course to students of the holy book, academics really. So I arrived at this video on YouTube, found after hours of YouTube's play next algorithm leading yours truly from beautiful Rabab music into Taliban propaganda. This video in which young Mujahideen are posing in a poppy field with bazookas and the video has this amazing soundtrack on top, a call to prayer with so much autotune that it would leave any trap track out in the cold, the autotune battle lost to an anti-musical enemy from the east. Only it's not music this singing. It's not haram, and neither is the bazooka, not the weapon of destruction, but an instrument of holy war. For it has to do with language, this call to prayer, with studying, with academia really, crystal clear, no doubt about it. It has to do with writing, with speaking, with communicating, not with music, which is more like painting, which was of course also banned, for with painting, real painting, there isn't much to understand, not in that way, not like with language. And this is scary for academics and scholars, including the Taliban. Academics want to understand. They need to impose meaning on all and everything. They need to define it all, and like other or and like all other authoritarian critics, they despise meaning they cannot pinpoint and knowledge they cannot define. So, like all other fundamentalists, they ban what they can't understand. In this case, music. Sound waves with no fixed meaning. Drones with no defined message. If there's no message to be controlled, better forbid it altogether which, when it comes to the specific example of music, is not entirely the fault of the Taliban. Long before them, music seems to have posed a problem in the conservative culture of Afghanistan. It stimulates both body and mind. It leads to dancing. Dancing can lead to antisocial behavior and all kinds of vices we don't want to think of. It gives the youth all kinds of ideas, ideas we'd better protect them from. Music we'd better protect them from, like jazz when it first 
came and rock and roll and hip-hop and techno and how the British government banned rave parties by forbidding events with music quote wholly or predominantly characterized by the emission of a succession of repetitive beats end of quote how the Criminal Justice and Public Order Act of 1994 tried to legally define repetitive dance music and how the protectors of high art and the free world of course couldn't because there wasn't anything there to be understood, there wasn't anything there to be defined, not in that way. Which is exactly why they were so afraid and their whole move led to a whole set of counter-reactions, including the invention of non-repetitive dance music and intelligent dance music. Only slightly, but in either case more intelligent than the cretins who tried to ban it. Warmongering moralists who were, of course, totally stupid, for that's not what repetitive music but repetitive stupidity and rigid conservatism leads to. Just like any other echo chamber, it twists all sounds into scarier and more alienating versions of themselves, and then you ban repetitive dance music and the covering of faces in public space, for you're sitting in a room listening to the sound of your own voice, and it makes the world outside scarier and scarier, more and more alien, and everything alien should be forbidden. That was an excerpt of the text Drone Music, originally performed 2020, revised for publication September 2021, published by Passive Aggressive Copenhagen.
Thank you so much, Emil Palme, for sending us this beautiful track called Ripen. The next piece we're going to hear is a longer one, and it's called Cloud Figures for a Bow Solo.
navn er Åbenis. Du lytter til The Radio. listening to new drops at the lake great <laughs> oh my god i'm not good at this oh you are listening to new drops at the lake radio thank you for tuning in remember to check out all the good stuff in the archive there's so much nice music and so many good people i'll end this mix with the, my favorite love song which is called duduke Have a nice weekend. <laughs> Bye. Do, 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 do. 